From the time we are born, we are placed in a bubble. It may be a result of where we are born, the people we are around, or the information we are given. Our mission here on the Sports is a Job podcast is to pop the bubble and help everyone realize they control their own path. We will interview people working in sports to share their story and provide our take on sport industry topics. Hosted by Colby Castillo and Olivia Poutine. Welcome to the Sports is a Job podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Sports is a Job podcast journey of the working sports professional. I am one half of the podcast. My name is Colby Castillo, and unfortunately, the other half could not make it today. So sorry, Olivia, but you're missing out on a great episode. But I have two special guests for you, um, fellow podcasters themselves, but they also have tremendous, tremendous amount of experiences when it comes to the sports industry. So I would like to welcome Chris and Rob. So if you guys could explain, you know, what it is you currently do in your positions. Um, if Rob, if you want to go first, and then Chris, if you can follow up after that. Yeah, no problem. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Kobe, thank you very much for uh, having us. This is, uh, this is a lot of fun to do. It's nice to be on the other side occasionally, and, uh, uh, but it's, it's been great. So, yeah, my uh, role is I'm the Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing for the Pawtucket Red Sox, soon to be the Worcester Red Sox. Uh, and the AAA affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. And, uh, you know, my role is to basically oversee everything that has a dollar associated to it. So I'm really focused on uh, corporate partnership sales, ticket sales, merchandise, special events, um, concessions even, and uh, just trying to figure out a way to maximize the dollars uh, that are coming into the Pawtucket Red Sox and to, and to grow them any way that I can when it's not a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. How about you? How about you, Chris? So, yeah, so I'm the director of sales at Fenway Sports Management. Um, that is the marketing and partnership arm of Fenway Sports Group. Mm-hmm. So Fenway Sports Group owns the Red Sox, Liverpool, Nesson, Roush Fenway Racing. Uh, and within that, we also have representation on LeBron James, Uninterrupted, uh, MGM Resorts, New York Red Bulls, Major League Baseball, the PGA, et cetera. So we, my job is to literally work across all the properties that we either own or represent to drive marketing partnership dollars uh, to depend on the time of year, the, the interest of those partners and um, really be kind of like the eyes and ears for those folks to come to act to them with marketing solutions, leveraging the power of a Fenway sports group. So we're in a unique situation where we're not just selling Red Sox. We're selling global um, opportunities with, the, with LeBron and, and Liverpool different demographic obviously with NASCAR and such. So yeah, no, we, we have uh, we're very fortunate to have a, a very robust portfolio that we, we take advantage of to have partners in all different shapes and size. And the one interesting about both of you guys is that, you know, when it comes to your experience in sports, you guys worked with minor league baseball, football, I mean, DraftKings. I mean, your guys' pats are all different in all different areas. So I want to go back to, you know, what was your first taste of the sports industry and then is there a particular moment that maybe you guys can remember that you were like yeah i want to work in sports from now on um i i don't think i've ever imagined doing anything else i I don't know i was like i i think my first taste of working in sports was probably working in an event at springfield college um that was probably it but i think where i said like yeah this is for me was uh, I remember getting a super like, this is awesome. Uh, I sold a group ticket package in Battle Creek, Michigan. Chris is going to laugh, of course. <laughs> um, for $1,000 for 
for a thousand tickets, so a dollar a ticket, <laughs> to this uh, Union Michigan Little League. So why that was so exciting to me is not the thousand dollars or the thousand, but it was a thousand tickets to Union Michigan. There was nine hundred and thirty people as their uh, total. Um, I'm, I'm missing my word. Their, their whole uh, population was 930 and I sold them a thousand tickets. So I was more pumped that I sold them more tickets than they had people in the whole how, city. How does that work? How does that work? This is how we end up down rabbit holes with me and Rob. I don't even want to go there. We're going to skip <laughs> right, right over. Union, Michigan, Liberty, We're going to skip right over. A thousand <laughs> tickets and the population at the times, 2005, was like 930. I remember it like vividly. So you guys must have double charged somebody. <laughs> I, I don't care. I'm check cleared. And uh, I was making my like 5% commission or something. But oh. uh, it was uh, fun dollar tickets craziness. But anyway, that's when I was like, yeah, I, this sales thing's fun. And I told everyone, I was like, I sold more tickets than they have people in the town. <laughs> that's definitely, that's definitely an interesting story. Um, and I'm sure everybody gets the same reaction when you say that you sold more tickets to a town than they have people. How about you, Chris? How did I think you I keep surprising Chris with these? <laughs> I, I, I can't. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna just pretend that never happened. We'll move on. We'll <laughs> save that till next week. Um, so I, I was, I was young, right? Figuring out what I was gonna do with my life in terms of going to college and what I was gonna major in. And when I was looking f- through all those different opportunities, and I was like, wait a minute, you're telling me I can go to school and and major in sports? I was like, what is, what is this about? So uh, UMass Amherst, uh, I grew up in New Jersey, but UMass Amherst had a sports management program. And I told my parents I was going to go do this. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, you're not going to school to major in sports management. What the hell are you going to do with that degree? Um, so, but I, I went for it and I, I did it and it's clearly all worked out. So they, they still say to this day, we can't believe it all worked out as well as it did because they still were like, what are you going to do? Um but I remember going even to my first class and they, they, they tried to scare the hell out of you and tell you like, this is what this is about to be. And this is the path you're about to go down. If you want to get out now, time, here's time to leave. And I was like, no, I'm all in. And like Rob mentioned, my first exposure would definitely be when I was on campus getting involved with some of the athletic departments and, and stuff, so forth. But my first job uh, when I graduated was with the New York Giants. So I got what you'd call extremely lucky um, to be able to go back home and work for the team I grew up rooting for. I tell everyone they drafted Eli and me the same year. He got the big bonus check, so he's retired and now I'm still going. So he got the, he got the better of the deal, but I, I, I loved it. I had a really cool job. I was in community relations. Uh, I didn't know anything about community relations until I got in that role. Uh, and it's still, I think it laid the foundation for how I view our industry from this day forth, because I saw the power of sports and the ability that we have to give back and, and, and make change for the better of society. Yeah. And the one thing you talked about right there is how your parents were like, no, you're not going to get into the sports. Like what's the sports industry? Like that kind of thing. Now, do you think the landscape of the sports industry for the college student entering the industry when they graduate, has it gotten a lot better or is it viewed a lot better when compared to when you guys were entering it? Yes. So it's evolved. I'd say it's completely different than it was 15 to 16 years ago. I, I think it was, we had much smaller, organizations and front offices people would do a little bit more outside of like what their typical day-to-day is it's become way more specialized and, and it's grown um the, the the different number of leagues and teams that has grown as well right so like esports didn't exist ufc was barely around mls had like a couple teams so the, the world of sports is, is exponentially exploded um on a global scale i mean you couldn't really watch epl games 
in the United States. Now you can on a Saturday morning. So, yeah, no, the, the world has definitely evolved. The sports management departments in terms of colleges has, ex- has also exponentially grown. Like there used to only be a handful of schools they are now everywhere. So I don't think people or parents will have the same type of reaction. I don't think the entry level has changed as much. And Rob might agree. is like, you're still not going to make a lot of money. You're still going to be working a lot of hours and you still have to go through that massive grind to get to where you eventually want to be. I don't think that's changed. Um, but I do think the advice of just get your foot in the door and is, is, is outdated. I agree with that. They, um, I think it's also broadened the spectrum of the people that can, uh, that are looking for sports now as a career, right? So analytics, when we were coming out was never a word, right? Like it was, it was money ball didn't exist, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. It was, it was not something that was, uh, prevalent. So I think it's expanded the uh, universe of people who's like, Oh, I could take my math smarts and apply them to baseball. But you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, probably wasn't the case. It was like, all right, you can talk, I don't know, go sell something. Right. And then, uh, and then see where it goes from there. Uh, so yeah, I think it's definitely expanded. Uh, but just getting your foot in the door might not be the best way though, in our opinions and Krista and I talk about all the time, it is of your best to try and figure out and get the most expansive, um, experiences as you as you can try and touch as many areas of the business before you go find out what you want to do for the rest of your life and i I think that's important that you guys bring that up because you guys both have minor league baseball experiences and and one of the things when i i look at i'm 22 years old so i i I work full-time now as assistant event management and interim coordinator at a d2 school but a lot of my peers and the people around my age um when they look at the sports industry they overlook the minor league baseball they overlook working at smaller schools. And one of the things that our professors tell us is to get your foot in the door by going through sales. And, Bad advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's one thing I wanted to talk about is, is what's your guys' view on that? Because a lot of people say get into sales. But if, if you're not good at sales, right, and you get into it, wouldn't the door close just as quick as it opened up for you? So what's your guys' view on that when they tell you, get your foot in the door by getting into a sales position. Chris, you articulate this the best. Go ahead. (laughs) I mean, this is, this is, this is my number one pet peeve of the whole entire industry. And also at this, still the education level of this, that was definitely true 15, 20 years ago, because that was the only job that existed. And you had the ability to kind of like jump around. Like I just mentioned, it's become so specialized. So, I guess my best analogy would be, look, you're applying to go work at Google and you have no interest in being a computer engineer and that's the job that's open. Would you apply for that job and be like, oh, I'm going to go be a computer engineer and then hopefully one day they'll put me over in the marketing team? Like, absolutely not. Like, that's not the way the world works. Like, this is the same thing in sports. It's the same. We're in the business. If you don't want to be in sales and you go into a, a hiring manager's office during an interview and say, hey, I'm just looking here to get my foot in the door but I really want to be in PR, that person is not going to hire you because they're interviewing for someone who wants that job. And if you don't want that job, Robin and I say this all the time, you're going to suck at that job. You're going to get fired or you're going to quit. And the turnover ratio for you is going to be extremely high. So the foot in the door, I'm going to kill it in sales. Here, here, here's a plain picture. You do really well in sales. You get your foot in the door. They're not going to take you off of sales if you're really good at it. And if you're not really good at it, you're going to lose your job. So where does this go from there? So that advice is so outdated, so antiquated. 
And to your point, I think Colby, you're trying to say like, is there more opportunities at maybe the minor league level or a D2 school or a D3 school? Absolutely. Like my executive vice president of sales, chief business officer, worked for the Lakewood Blue Claws, a single A baseball team. He's now running the overall sales department of Fenway. I worked in minor league sports. There's other people in my office that worked in minor league sports. That made us more well-rounded and we were able to do what we loved and what we were good at. Just getting your foot in the door and saying, hey, I have a job with the New York Yankees and ticket sales and you have no interest in being in sales. Where are you going with that? What's your next story to like your next interview? Hey, I'm really good at sales, but I want to be in PR. Well, what the hell have you done in PR? Well, nothing. I've sold a bunch of stuff. Well, you're not qualified. So I, that drives me nuts. It's my biggest pet peeve of the industry. It is the worst advice I think going for people. I'll make exceptions occasionally, but very rarely does that work out. And I think what you, one of the things that's important is getting experience. I didn't know I wanted to go into sales uh, when I was coming out of school because it, sales to me back then was like, I don't know, used car salesman, the guy at Best Buy that's trying to sell you the extra care on your TV. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. But then your sports sales is different. So it's important to get a full broad spectrum of experience because uh, then you kind of figure out what you want to do. And though you might not think you are going to want to do something, you're going to want to do something. And I think that is what your college life is for um, and to get that experience. So I guess you guys would say then to a college student is, is try these different internships, these different experiences and figure right. out what area you want to go down. By the time you graduate, maybe you've built a certain amount of experience and you know exactly what it is you want to do. Yeah, I think one of the biggest mistakes college students make are when they go, I have a internship and it's at my senior year and I'm going to base everything off that one experience. You need to base your experience off of four, five, six different experiences to know really what the hell you want to do. If not, you're going to be like, that one I didn't like, then what? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So you need to be able to have that experience uh, and be able to uh, you know, to, to be able to get as many, see as many different parts of the business. And in my opinion, minor league sports, baseball, hockey, whatever, uh, soccer, you know, with the, uh, 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 with the minor league soccer that's coming out, you have the ability to do that probably more so now than ever. Yeah. And I, I'm glad that both of you, Chris and Rob mentioned that, that you guys have the connections to minor leagues, your, you know, higher executives have that connection to the minor leagues. So people understand, like, don't overlook that kind of position. Now, one of my favorite things to ask people on the, on the podcast is, you know, mistakes for people are the biggest learning lessons. The mistakes that we make um, teach us a lot of things. So if you guys don't mind sharing, I mean, you know, if you could share maybe a particular mistake you made in your career and what you learned from it. Uh, we might be here a while. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about today or you want to talk about uh, mistake? I don't know. Chris, do you have one off the top here? Let me think about it. Or do you have, or do you need? Yeah, me? no, I, I think in a general sense, I, I, I always give this advice is, is don't <clears throat> chase the money. Um, and I did once I, I made a decision on a, on a career path that was more driven by money and it didn't work out the way I wanted it to because they never do. Um, I think it's more about, and I've learned as I've grown, it's more about who you work with on a day-to-day -day basis more so than getting to say who you work for. And also necessarily sometimes there's some sacrifices that you should be willing to make to make sure your overall happiness is accounted for. Because when you're young, that's hard to put into perspective. But as you grow, that's a, that's a massive, massive part of a, your day to day is like, if you don't like who you work with, who you work for and, and what your job is, 
no amount of money in the world is going to cover that up. So yeah, that's, that's a big mistake I made. Um, getting into the minutia of other mistakes that I've done through my career. We might, like I said, the best part about this industry is a lot of it is made up on the fly because there's not always a playbook and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. My advice for people specifically on the management style is look, you want to work for people who will let you make mistakes because to work in an environment where mistakes are not allowed is absolutely impossible and makes it even more stressful, but you need to learn from your mistakes. Don't make the same mistake twice. Simple as that. You're, you're empowered to make mistakes. That's okay. There's not usually a mistake that's unfixable unless you do something unethical, but go ahead, take a chance, go for it. If you make a mistake, we'll address it. We'll fix it. We'll learn. We'll grow. That's impossible to ask anybody to, to never make a mistake. It's just not, it's not an acceptable way to work. So, you know, I definitely am a big proponent after doing it once of not chasing the money. Yeah. Not chasing the money obviously is a, I never had that issue uh, in minor league <laughs> baseball. There's just no money in it. Um, the, uh, I guess one of the things that I would say too is one of my bigger mistakes was I'm not sure I put enough effort into like educating myself on being a better writer, being a better, in all honesty, a reader. Uh, one of the things we were interviewing uh, Sam Kennedy uh, and one of his ed pieces of advice that he got from Larry, who I know, Larry Lucchino, who I now work for says, you know, read the document, know the document, you know, salespeople tend to gloss over the details. I am number one at doing that. Number one. And uh, I think that has hurt me sometimes. And I think that uh, not taking that seriously enough is one of, uh, one of my mistakes. Also making sure that you know the financial end of the business just as well as you know, the other, uh, the sales end of, um, in, in personally in, in, in my, in my uh, role. Now, with everything going on, uh, many people are saying the landscape of the sports industry is going to change in general. And I, I think both of you guys work in sales, minor league baseball, and then you work with the Fenway. Uh, but like, what do you think will happen? You know, is there certain things that are going to change when it comes to sales? Uh, maybe what are certain trends that you guys are noticing that, that will pop up through this whole pandemic and quarantine? To me, I think from a sponsorship standpoint, you're going to have to make sure that when we're finally out of this, right, then who knows what that definition is. Sponsorship dollars are going to be very tight and you've got to be damn sure that you're going to be able to uh, execute even more so because they're going to be, in my opinion, brands are going to be questioning everything and you've got to make sure that uh, the full-fledged package and campaign that you're putting in front of them uh, meets and exceeds their needs. Um, you know, the days of just slapping up a sign somewhere uh, and not being able to measure that are over. How about you, Chris? Yeah, no, I mean, it had already started to change a lot to what Rob, just the last thing Rob said about slapping up a sign, those days are long over. Um, we've, we've become, and this is, this is where it gets ironic, is in my, our roles, people, a lot of people say they want to work in marketing when it comes to sports. And we essentially are marketers because what we do is we create marketing platforms that are much bigger than just the sign now. Right. So we come up with all the creative ideas and concepts and activations that we put into the proposal that then we provide them as a marketing solution to the people buying them. So to Rob's point, like there's become so much data analytics about what's the value of sponsorship. What am I really getting out of this? We had to work even harder to, to prove the worth. 
with this happening, this will be very similar to 0708. Brands are going to be very stingy and very tight with what they do because they can't make a mistake because they're going to have much smaller budgets. We're going to have to be buttoned up. Um, I think a group like ourselves at Fenway will benefit a little bit better because of the quality of product uh, that we are able to provide from the brands that we have. But um, it's going to be a big shift where we've pretty much had a good 10 run, 10 year run where brands have been spending and spending and sports sponsorships have been growing and growing and growing. I think that's going to slow down for the next couple of years. I mean, that's just naturally what happens when something like this financially hits. So uh, we're going to have to be much more agile and also just kind of reset our expectations. Like what, what may have cost a million dollars yesterday may cost $700,000 tomorrow. And that's just the nature of the business because we have to be good partners and not, and if we don't adapt, we're going to be crushed. Mm-hmm. And that's the huge thing right there. You said is, is being able to adapt from the business standpoint, individual standpoint, just being able to adapt in general. Now I want to get into it because you guys are guests on the podcast, but Chris and Rob, you do have your own podcast of your own. Um, if you could share with everybody, you know, the name of the podcast, how it started and what exactly you guys do on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Hold on one second. So, the, the name of the podcast started by Rob is Front Office Features. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, started it out with the thought of specifically this kind of culture, what you're doing. You asked us the questions early on about advice and so forth. And, and, Rob, and Rob and I have been very generous with our time, I'd say, in terms of talking to, to college kids and young professionals who want to get into this business. And looking back on our careers, we realized we would have been very beneficial if we had someone who had been in the business as long as we've had now, 15, 16 years, providing the real truth and and transparency to what what goes on and how you can be successful and some of the misconceptions that are out there to better prepare those individuals to have conversations at either informational interviews or interviews themselves, because it's a hard industry to navigate, right? This isn't a typical industry. And... Rob and I get, I think, sometimes even more satisfaction about having these conversations with folks and providing that guidance than we do out of closing sales. So it was kind of a natural fit for us to, to talk about it weekly and also talk to other executives. So we've had some really big, powerful guests that we have because of our relationships provide their feedback and guidance and expertise. Um, and it's just evolved into uh, to people who reached out to actually want to help us and do some social work for us. So it's been, it's been awesome from a networking perspective. It's been awesome from a satisfaction perspective of helping out folks. Um, and we do it weekly. And Rob and I have a weekly conversation where we just discuss what happened in the past week. And then Rob's idiosyncrasies that come up every <laughs> once in a while, uh, which has just been an endless list of fun. Uh, for us to, to talk about and from a content perspective. And then we interview um, as many individuals as we can and, and release those weekly as well. So we release about two a week. Uh, and then, but sometimes during the pandemic, it's three a week, depending on what's happening. And then it's been like almost cathartic right now for him and I to kind of get together once a week and just after the kids are in bed, talk about what we're dealing with and have people reach out to us with texts and voicemails. And it's been fun. It's awesome. Yeah, and uh, sorry I had to go, you know, as you are doing this, it's a, a three-year-old who's having a meltdown right now, but uh, I appreciate the ability to uh, deal with this. But yeah, the uh, front office features has just been so much fun to do. Uh, I think it's really expanded my uh, network of people in the sports business world. Uh, you know, never in a million years did I talk to, you know, a guy like Dan Lust, who's a sports uh, law guy. Uh, never would I have a chance we just interviewed a guy 
uh, who's a uh, J.R. Raggio, who's an NFL agent. I mean, none of these things would have uh, would have happened. And, uh, you know, being able to do that's been uh, been great. And I think, too, probably the thing I enjoy most is not the interviews, per se, is the weekly ones with Chris. I mean, like, we just BS and talk, and it's just, like, having fun. I think a lot of people in the sports industry, besides having ridiculous Battle Creek stories about feral cats and such, uh, have similar conversations in their office and they just kind of want to have other conversations, hear similar conversations that uh, they're having around the proverbial water cooler. It might be over Zoom now, but, uh, you know, I think it's just what's going on and, you know, BSing about it. Oh, definitely. And I think, you know, I've, I've been able to listen to a few episodes. You were on it. You left a voicemail. Yeah, you were great. I did. I, I had to. I was like, okay, they, they're, st- they're, they're putting the voicemail in there. I, I got to put a, you know, see if I can ask a question to these two. Because like you said, I mean, I didn't imagine myself talking to, to individuals in the sports industry that he have years of experience like Rob and Chris that you guys have. And even a bunch of the other guests that I have. I mean, Whoever thought, I didn't think even a year ago that I would be able to have conversations with people and meet people like this. But, but it is one of those things like you guys were saying. For me, you know, I'm 22 years old. I just started in the sports industry. So hey, it's difficult. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. But so it's, it's difficult for me to really offer a lot of advice or say, hey, this is how you do it. But there's so many people out there that don't have the platform, that don't start a podcast like both of you do that need to be able to tell their journey and share their experience. So I have to say thank you to both of you for doing what you guys are doing. And, and I want to make sure, so where can they find the podcast on social media and things like that? Search front office features. You can find everything. I, we've got, uh, we're most active on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, I'd say. Um, and, uh, you know, growing following. Um, and uh, if you just search front office features, we're one of the ones that come up uh, first when you get, um, search on Apple podcasts and Spotify and such. So uh, it's been growing like crazy. I to, I'm proud to say that in April uh, that podcast listening is down about 20% overall in the United States because no one's traveling, no one's on airplanes, no one's nothing. Uh, and we had our biggest month ever, uh, even with overall podcast listening being down. So uh, it was, uh, it was a good month and uh, you know, 22 countries to grow. We're in 22 countries now, which blows my mind that there's 22 different countries listening to front office features. That just, that, that in seven months, that's doesn't make sense. But um, Colby, I mean, right back at you, buddy. We, <clears throat> Rob and I get asked this question all the time about what, what can I do or what can I do during this pandemic? And I, I'm having a struggle or time to get into the business. Like the fact that you're 22 and you, you, you said, look, I can do this. I'm going to start up a podcast. I'm going to interview executives. You probably have built your network up to the level that you would never even imagine as a 22 year old, right? Like how many people have you talked to? This is exactly what Rob and I are always telling younger folks is like, do something. Like if you have a passion, just do something. Like and it, the barrier to entry is so low right now to get off the ground and make a name for yourself and build your brand. It's exactly what you're doing. I mean, kudos to you buddy because like there's not many other people that are doing it at 22 and doesn't matter if you have the experience or not you're going to learn you're going to grow and you're going to have a talent that you'll be able to talk about like think about when you're in an interview and you sit down and you're, you're, you're talking to your next potential employer you have a good story to tell like I did this beyond my other job this is why I have more experience and I have all these different wealth of knowledge because this is what I do for on the side of the project and now I'd much you- rather hear that and now you've got connections with Chris and I. It's like, hey, I 
looking at this job or X, Y, and Z, what do you guys think? Or do you know anybody here or there? The answer might be, yeah, and now you've expanded your network and now look what you're doing. You're uh, one step ahead. And we always talk about separating yourself. Got mm-hmm. a podcast, man. And I see you on Zoom. You've got much better microphones than Chris. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> I, I know, trust me. I, I used to record the funny story is, is from my work office. I used to hold my iPhone to my work office phone and I used to let guests speak. And then I would switch it around to let me speak. So I've, I've upgraded a little bit. Um, but no, it, it's important that you guys mentioned it is that, you know, you have to be proactive to separate yourself. And I recognize the benefits it has for me doing this kind of thing. So we did expand, you know, sports is a job. We turned it into not just podcasts, but we're doing articles like three, four articles a day. And all the writers that come on, they're college students right now. And they're not getting paid any type of money. But I'm like, hey, the one thing I can offer you is that you're reaching out to them behalf of sports as a job and they see what we're already doing. You'll be able to network with people you probably never had, you never had the chance to network with. So I definitely, you know, I appreciate the kind words from both of you. Now to end the podcast, the last thing is what are you both looking towards or looking forward to, um, to getting back into once this pandemic ends and we start going back to normal? I'm interested in what the definition of normal is. Uh, and well, how that affects sports. I, uh, I don't know. Like I literally, I, I do not know the answer to that. Um, you know, I think one of the things that you've got to do is take it one day at a time. If you start putting time frames on, it's got to be done by this day or this date or this date or this day. You're just going to be, you know, forever, um, you know, disappointed. I think president Trump said at one point that we're going to have people in stadiums in August. There's no chance. Right. Uh, so as soon as you, I, I just think I'm, most anxious to see what normal is and then how we as a collective industry adjust to what that is and then try and, uh, you know, provide the best experience to fans and monetize it the best way we can. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think we've, we've crossed the bridge and of when and where quite often, and you see all the sports in the league struggling to, to figure this out and answer this question. Um, it's not, it's not easy. You've got logistics and health and safety and concerns and money and economics at play. The new normal is going to look very different for a while, whenever that is. Uh, it's just the nature of what we're dealing with. And, and Rob and I have talked about this quite frequently is sports are typically, and the reason we love working in sports is sports are typically the reason or the solution to people's problems to getting back to a normal, right? Uh, whether it be marathon bombings or 9-11 or financial crises, sports plays a huge role in society in getting us back t- to what it feels like and escape our problems. Unfortunately, this time around, sports is kind of part of the problem in the sense that we rely on mass gatherings. Uh, and until that's okay, it's going to be really hard. Like TV will be fine and it'll be great and it'll be a nice escape, probably different than watching Netflix or Hulu every five minutes. But until we get to re- regather as a, a society at an event and go crazy because of a three-pointer or a walk-off home run or a touchdown, like, that's when we'll feel normal again. And I think that's when you'll see sports play a huge role in getting us back there. It just may not be for a while. Uh, and, and to say when we know that'll be is, is disingenuous mm-hmm. uh, because the smartest people in the country can't figure out how we can even go to a restaurant, let alone have 70,000 people in a football stadium. So we'll see. I mean, I, it's it, all we can preach to people is be patient, specifically ones looking to break into the business, stay the course. 
and and I and, and this is this is iron, ironic. It's going to open up a lot of opportunity for people to step in and fill some holes because if this goes longer and longer and longer, a lot of people are going to have to make some tough life decisions and leave the business, which will leave opportunities for folks that are younger, such as yourself, to step in and, and, and fill those gaps. So as much as it sucks now, it's, it's crazy. It's only been two months. It feels like 20 years. Um, it might, it's probably going to be a little bit longer and longer than we all hoped. But when it does come back, it's going to be epic and it'll be it'll feel really good to be part of that to be helping people get back to whatever the new normal is and i think we saw kind of a glimpse this past week with the ufc that had the event you know wednesday yesterday and their other event on saturday what it looks like for as far as live sports and and fighting in in a stadium or arena without absolutely nobody but chris and rob i appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to join me on the Sports is Job podcast and everybody listening out there, thank you for your time as always. And as we always say, we are all on our own individual journeys, but you are not alone.